0: Today we open the book of Luke for the first time together, one of the four Gospels that start the New Testament. Before we read the first four verses, let's go over a little bit about what we know about Luke and the book that he wrote. So although no name appears in the book it is not signed origin an early foremost biblical scholar of the early church indicated that this book was written by Luke commended by Paul written for the converts he said from the gentiles most of what we know about Luke come from the writings of Paul. Luke was mentioned a few times in his writings. He is a doctor. He was not among the first disciples. There is a little bit of a progression in how Paul talks about Luke. He talks about him first as a fellow worker, then as a dear friend, and lastly as a faithful companion. As Paul says at the end of his second missionary journey, Luke was the only one who stayed with him. We know for two years, Luke was with Paul in a prison in Caesarea. Many believe that this book was written during that time. Along with other markers, it's believed that Luke wrote this sometime between the year 58 and 63. Now, along with Matthew and Mark, this is a synoptic gospel. Everyone say synoptic. synoptic. Oh, very good. That means seeing the whole together at a glance. Now, John is kind of considered his own composition, but these three present a common story, borrowing a little bit and using from one another and some other sources as they relate the similar events in the life of Christ. We're grateful for this account from Luke, though, because it gives insights and teachings and stories we don't get anyplace else. And because of that, it is the largest of the Gospels. Luke alone records all of the details of Jesus' birth, a little about his childhood. Unlike Mark, who basically has Jesus running to Jerusalem, Luke takes us on a 10-chapter journey in the middle of the book to get there. He also adds in the fabulous story about the people on the road to Emmaus who meet Jesus after the resurrection, as well as the ascension at the end. Luke is the only gospel that has a sequel, continuing the story about the early church into Acts. When scholars refer then to this gospel, they talk about Luke-Acts. That's what they call it, because it's considered to be a single work with two parts. So there's a common purpose. When you read Acts, you should be thinking about Luke and vice versa because it forms a whole. And because of this, because he wrote both, um, in terms of verses, not chapters, Luke wins the prize for having the most words in the New Testament. Now, one of the reasons why this is interesting is because scholars are fairly certain for lots of reasons that you can look up, including that his name is Greek, that he's listed in Paul's uh, writings as part of Gentile leaders, that he was not Jewish. So that makes him very unique among the writers of the New Testament as the only one who does not come from a Jewish background. And because... This is meant for all audiences. Many scholars believe that Luke is the easiest gospel to understand. But he does have extensive knowledge into the Hebrew mindset and scriptures. How he weaves the birth narrative shows us that the Old and the New Covenant are absolutely interlocked that God makes a promise to his people and that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise and that extends to the church and beyond. So let's just think about a few hallmarks of Luke's gospel. One is that it has a deep emphasis on prayer. Jesus is often going to God in prayer. This models something for all of us and what that looks like. Luke gives a special place to women who are often at the forefront, impacting outcomes with true faith. This is a book of joy. God is praised often in this book. God surrounds humanities. And also, Luke talks a lot about the supernatural. He talks about angels a lot. He talks about demons. He talks about the ever-present work of the Holy Spirit. Also, Luke loves music. Mary sings, Zechariah sings, the angels sing, Simeon, who blesses baby Jesus, sings. It's a book of music. Luke also understands human nature and how everyone needs God. And the topics that he emphasizes from Jesus deal with issues that every generation care about. Money, prejudice, sibling rivalry, anxiety, oppression, disease, heaven. He also shows how people respond to Jesus in lots of different ways, with doubt, with outright rejection, as unabandoned faith and great joy in the long-awaited Messiah. Luke kind of normalizes all of those postures, showing us that we are people who are on a journey and that that's okay. And also, he kind of shows that Jesus isn't trying to build a megachurch. Luke shows how the Lord is looking for those who are sincerely seeking truth, not just people who are going to gather around Jesus in this time. But Luke wants us to understand that discipleship is costly, that we leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Last week at church, I heard about an article from Christianity Today about libraries in our country As I read it, it took me back to the first library I ever walked into in my little town. Maybe I was four? And I remember walking up the stone steps to this fabulous old two-story building, and I recall being in awe. What is this place, I thought? This hushed place with so many books. It just seemed like a building that called out for exploring. The article from Christianity Today had vignettes about the state of libraries in various towns around the country, and really focused on Christian librarians who work in the public sector for the good of their communities. They are the stewards of an important space meant for everyone. But often they are finding themselves in the crossfire of political demands and controversy, the library. These days, librarians do other things besides help people find books and tell loud patrons to be quiet. They help kids build rockets. They have conversations about banning books. They recognize when someone needs help because of a drug overdose, They help senior citizens who don't know how to navigate a computer. They find creative ways to do more with diminishing funds. And one takeaway from the article was how librarians of faith have the opportunity to help people find a place and also to be kind to everyone, to be Jesus to everyone who enters their doors. Many see that as their role, as their calling before the Lord. But their first job is to help others serve others in the quest of knowledge. Imagine free books, free books for everyone. Opening a book is like turning the knob on a door where a whole different world awaits us. I often think of books as friends and librarians were the first ones to help me figure that out. They pointed the way early in life for adventure and science fiction and mystery and wonderful stories. Stories that help shape who I am. Stories that help shape who you are. Now, we often focus on Luke as a doctor, and that is true. He is meticulous and careful. He is tending to the souls who are sick with sin and who need a cure. Only the cure that Jesus came to give. But we also might think about Luke as the keeper of knowledge the keeper of knowledge so great that he chose to live as a public servant of the gospel, as perhaps a librarian of the gospel, not for gain or for glory, and certainly, certainly not for power, but because he felt deep in his bones, deep in his bones, that every person needed to have the knowledge, freely have the knowledge that would change their life. And everyone needs to know that they belong, that they are welcome with Jesus. Curious seekers can come to Luke and can find both of those things. Now, like the library, the gospel is often called universal because it is for all people. Who is welcome in Luke's gospel? Who is welcome to follow Jesus and find a home with him? The mixed race Samaritans. The unclean, the women, the poor, the hyper-religious, the ones no one saw in society. Those who cheated others, they're welcome. The old and the young, the sick, the common laborers, the rich, the widow, the Romans, the demon-possessed. Everyone is welcome in Luke's gospel. The door is wide open. And what was once considered exclusive, Jesus comes to offer to all people, with no exceptions. Luke invites anyone who can hear, anyone who is interested that Jesus came to die and to form a new kind of community where people are renewed by the Spirit, where people find freedom to serve God with integrity and joy because they have been made whole. No one is beyond Jesus' reach And there is great hope to be made right by the Spirit's power. The artist Michael Card sees Luke as a bridge. A bridge between our hearts and our minds. The bridge between the first generation of Christians and those who would come later. Between the old covenant, where often faith was about waiting. And the new covenant, where faith is often about following. Oh, we're going to have a good time in the book of Luke. So today we look briefly at the first four verses of Luke chapter 1. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those from the beginning, by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. I, too, decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Amen. So let's just think briefly about some things that we see here. Luke acknowledges that others have written about Jesus, but also wants to write something and calls it an orderly, orderly account for luke christianity is based on facts from eyewitnesses and those who were there those who were with the lord from the beginning luke did not walk with jesus as the early disciples did so he dug around he investigated to the best of his ability when we think orderly don't think chronological think logical Luke is setting forth a logical account and make me wonder what what would the other gospel writers call theirs? Heartfelt? Inspired? Chronological? Complete? True? Luke wants us to know this is an orderly account so we want to be careful to see it that way also. But look what else he says. He wants to write an orderly account for the events that have been fulfilled. Fulfilled among them. He is linking God's promises here to Israel in the very beginning. It isn't just what people saw. Or heard or experienced. Jesus is the one who fulfills what the prophets wrote about the coming Messiah. Jesus is the suffering servant who becomes Emmanuel to live among us. Your testimony is what has been fulfilled in your life. You met Jesus. It changed your life because of God's fulfilled plan for you, which is also for all people. We build our lives on the fact of God coming to earth. And Luke is saying this is not a myth, nor is it a falsehood. Now, we don't know exactly who Theophilus is. His name means friend of God or lover of God. And some have conjectured that he was a recent convert or maybe a friend of Luke's or maybe a person of high status who paid for the writing. Others have opined that he's not a real person that he's a metaphor, a representative of the Gentiles for all those who want to be a friend of God. However, people who know better than I, most of the scholars say that he was a real person and that Luke wants him to know how careful this account is. This actually reminds me of the book that Henry Nouwen wrote called Life of the Beloved. He was writing also to a friend. That friend had questions about God, did not really know God or believe in God. And Nowen writes with certainty how the real work of prayer is to be silent. The real work of listening and seeking is to be silent and listen to the voice of the Almighty. Because Nowen says, when you stop and you listen, God will tell you, God will tell you what he thinks about you how much he loves you, the good things he has to say about you. That we live scattered lives for all of our desires, we chase our desires, but we end up feeling worthless in a world that is manipulative and controlling and destructive. And now one says the lies that we tell about ourselves and the lies that the world tells us needs to be silent so that we know that we have been called the beloved the chosen children of God, for all eternity. That's what Luke is doing here. Luke is telling his friend, you also can claim Jesus as your friend and your savior. Jesus came, Theophilus, so that you can know him as well. Luke wants his friend to know the truth about what he is being taught. This isn't just a history lesson, but an invitation to know how Jesus offers everyone the chance to be part of the kingdom. So here's one takeaway for these first four verses from me to you today. Friday, Mark Bates and I went to go uh, hear Pastor Helen give a chapel talk at Westmont. Oh, so good. And she talked about her favorite story in the Gospels which is about the woman who came to the dinner party and broke an alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus' head. And Pastor Helen told us that in today's currency, that would have been worth at least $28,000. That this was probably this woman's most treasured possession, probably her life savings. She recognizes Jesus for who he is and offers all she can give in worship of her Savior. And as Helen was talking, I sat there and I, I was thinking, what is, what is my greatest treasure? What do I hold on to is precious in my life? And would I give that up, give that up in adoration to the God who came to earth to call me beloved, to die on the cross for me, the one who gave everything so that I could be forgiven? Do I love him that much? You see, Luke is showing here exactly what he valued in this world, which is careful study and examination of God's word. And because of how he lived out this value and poured it out for the Lord, generations of people have come to actually know Jesus. And not just that. But Luke wants everyone to value studying God's word and studying how it can lead us to Christ. That's why he's writing his friend. Luke has done astounding legwork for all of us because he wants all of us to know that our search for God can come to great fruition. But it's very easy for us. It's very easy for us to think that we know what the Bible says and to go on with our lives to what we actually value. We know the stories. We know how it ends. We know the cross. We know what we know, and we think that that's enough, and we can move on. But this is God's living word. That means it isn't about knowledge. It's about transformation. It's about the relationship that we have with Jesus. So we are to read it and study it and love it And to give up what we treasure to own this lifeline that we have been given to the one who is the life and the truth and the way to God. And Luke wants all of us to know how absolutely vital Jesus is so that we would give up everything just to know him and to serve him and to give him away to a world where others need to know that they are loved also. So thus begins the book of Luke, who is asking his friend and all who would come later seeking the truth. Luke is asking Theophilus, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because I have been so careful to write this thing for you and for the church and for everyone who's going to come later. Luke wants us, he says, I want you to have a firm grasp on the living word of God and what you've been instructed, because I've been careful. I want you to be careful, too. This, this is one of our deepest treasures. Perhaps for his own soul, Luke did it, but really, he did it as a love letter. And Jesus told us, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So let's just take a few minutes, a few moments to reflect What that means, the Spirit. Let the Spirit talk to you. Where is your treasure today? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. There will your actions be. There will your money be. What is your treasure? What can you bring to the Lord as an act of worship? Luke treasured the narrative of the fulfillment of God's plan and spent his life making sure that as many as possible would know and accept the life Jesus offers. So what are we giving our life for? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.